BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, friends, thanks so much for listening to the podcast. And we want to make sure that you know about all the other exciting ways to get more exclusive content from The Bill Press Show. We're on Patreon. Did you know that? On Patreon. So to go to Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash BP show to get videos that nobody else gets. All we ask is five bucks a month and you get access to daily commentary. And every week we put up a special interview just for our Patreon subscribers. Hey, it's a great way to support progressive media and get your hands on some fun, new, exclusive content. Thanks so much for supporting the show by going to patreon.com slash BP show. Giving you everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show, live at youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Yes, indeed, that summit on again, off again. Hey, it's back on again. Now all we have to do is figure out who's going to pay for Kim Jong-un's hotel room. I think you and I might. Hey, what do you say, everybody? Happy Monday, Monday, June 4. Good to see you today. Thank you for joining us. It is the Bill Press Show, and we welcome you to it. And look forward to hearing from you a little bit later on all you think about the news of the day. There's lots and lots going on on many fronts. Yes, indeed. It looks like it looks like there will, in fact, uh, be a summit just a week and a day from now in Singapore with the leader of North Korea, the chairman of North Korea and the president of the United States. Meanwhile, uh, Donald Trump's attorneys are out all over the place over the weekend, arguing that Donald Trump is above the law. He cannot commit a crime. He cannot be charged with a crime. He cannot be subpoenaed. He cannot have be forced to testify. He can do whatever the hell he wants because didn't you know he's the king? He's there by divine right and nobody can touch him. That's what his attorneys say. I haven't seen that kind of a uh, divine right statement since the days of Louis XIV in France. We'll bring you up to date on all the news, all the outrages, and all the good news to the extent that there is any. Some good news on jobs, by the way. And look forward to hearing from you. Everything you think, what, you, what do you think about the news of the day? You tell us. You know how to do so. Go on Twitter. Send us your comments on Twitter, at BP Show, at BP Show. Hope you had a great weekend. Are ready to dive into another busy, busy week, which we will do together. But first, this is the Full Court Press. Just a couple of other stories making news. So it is the summer season officially around the country. And Washington State wants to let you know that you cannot throw 
a cigarette butt out of your car, which is what a lot of smokers do. They smoke their cigarette, they get down to the filter, then they throw the still lit cigarette out of your car. Now they're pointing out that this is very, very dangerous, especially as things dry out in the summer months. So Washington State now has a fine for throwing cigarette butts out of your car. How much will it cost you? If you throw a cigarette butt out of your car and you get caught, there's no no money could. I don't think could, it's enough to pay for the damage. I don't think it's enough, but they have a one thousand twenty five dollar fine if you get caught doing it, whether it starts any fires or not. Uh, one over one thousand dollar fine if you get caught. Like I I, I agree with you. I, it's yeah, nothing yeah. compared to the damage no. that it could cause. No, for they sure. start a forest fire and destroy a hundred homes. Right. Thousand dollars. That's nothing. Yeah, that's nothing. Uh, it's Monday, so let's go to the box office. Solo, a Star Wars story, won the weekend, but it was a very very slow weekend and. A very serious drop-off for the Star Wars franchise. And it didn't start out that great. It started out okay. Yeah, we talked about it last week. Yeah, considering how much money they spent on this movie, it's not making it back. They spent something like $300 million on this movie. uh, And it is not making it back. It only made $29 million over the weekend, uh, which is not a lot of money for a Star Wars movie. And Bill, Saturday night here in Washington, D.C. It's all but academic now. 18 seconds left. The puck to the left side. And a head down to Reeves. Into the left corner. He gets hit again by Matt Niskanen. 10 seconds to go. Washington looking to clear as Beagle is knocked down. And a puck to Marcia Soda. Nobody. And it'll leave the zone. And that's it. Good right. morning. Good afternoon. And good night, Vegas. Washington is two. There you go. Right. The Washington Capitals beat the Vegas Golden game Knights three, three tonight, to one. Baby. Yes, game exactly. three, yeah. Game four tonight. Game four, four tonight. Game four, sorry, yeah. is the Bill Press Show. Richard Nixon is back. Yep, indeed. Donald Trump's attorneys argue that when the president does it, it is not illegal. But Rudy Giuliani says, hey, hello, everybody. What do you say? Happy Monday. Can you believe it? Oh, it just gets crazier and crazier around here. It is Monday, June 4. Good to see you. Hello, 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 and welcome. Welcome to the Bill Press Show. That's me, and you are very much part of the program. Good to see you today. Hope you had a good weekend. I'll tell you, it rained cats and dogs here in Washington, D.C. both days, yeah, particularly yesterday. It started raining in the morning. Never, 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 never stopped. Um, but uh, maybe you had some sunshine or a little drier weather wherever you were and made the most of the weekend. And now let's jump into it because we got lots and lots to talk about. A lot going on with the summit. Yes, a lot going on with the president's attorneys trying to shield him from any responsibility in the Mueller investigation. They say maybe he could even shut it down. Got some good news on jobs on Friday and a big milestone on Sunday that maybe you missed, which I will tell you about. All of that to talk about with all of you as we join you coast to coast all across the great land of ours, every little nook and cranny of the United States of America. We're there with you online, on YouTube, 
youtube.com slash the bill press show and little reminder gentle reminder don't forget our podcast is up every day we really love having you check out the podcast go to billpressshow.com wherever you get your podcast but don't forget don't forget the important thing is when you're there register do subscribe. Little, subscribe. Subscribe. It's subscribe. really, really easy. You don't have to do anything. Oh, you yeah. just have to click a button that says subscribe. That way you get the information. You get the podcast sent directly to your phone or your computer. And as we mentioned before, we're doing weekend podcasts now. So we put up one over the weekend where you interviewed a reporter about Michael Grimm. That, uh, by the way, is a very, very important race. This guy, yeah. he's a crook trying to get back. Literally. Literally a crook. Like went to jail. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> just got out of prison and he wants, he's a Republican. And he wants his uh, congressional district back up in Staten Island. And you know, my, he might get it. Man. He might get it. Uh, he's a, a, a real, it's a, he's a real Trumpian candidate. Trump is not endorsing him. He's endorsing the other guy. This guy sounds like Trump, and uh, he might get So that was a very interesting race, which I didn't even know about. Uh, but that was up uh, again over the weekend. So we're there online. We're also there with you, of course, on the radio uh, statewide in Indiana on Indiana Talks and all over the Chicago area, greater Chicago area on WCPT, the progressive foghorn of Chicago booming out there loud and strong every day. And, of course, look at you on Free Speech TV. Yes, indeed, we start with this just uh, absolutely outrageous claim by the uh, president's attorney. So, uh, this memo was leaked to the New York Times. By the way, it was leaked to the New York Times. It's a letter, a 20-page letter memo to Robert Mueller from, in January, uh, the president's, pres, two of the president's attorneys, Jay Sekulow and John Dowd. John Dowd, who has, pardon me, since resigned because uh, he didn't like what Donald Trump was saying about the Mueller investigation, but at the time, Seculo and Dowd wrote this letter to Robert Mueller, 20-page memo, where they make th- some unbelievable claims. Uh, they claim, among uh, first of all, uh, that the president, the, the question is, will Donald Trump have to voluntarily meet with Robert Mueller and answer some questions? Would he answer a request to come meet with him? And what about if the president were subpoenaed to meet with the special counsel? Mueller, I mean, Seculo and Dowd say, you cannot subpoena the president of the United States. He does not have to answer a subpoena. So let the special counsel try. Donald Trump can just ignore it because he is president of the United States. Well, then the other question is, what if... um, Robert Mueller finds a president that there's no collusion, maybe, but he finds that he did is guilty of obstruction of justice, either because he's tried to stop the Mueller investigation, tried to stop Comey, fired Comey, whatever, right? Put the pressure on Jeff Sessions to get back in. Obstruction of justice. They say, they claim in their memo, the president cannot be charged with obstruction of justice. He cannot be charged with that. Why? Because he's president of the United States. I mean, they actually assert that principle. Now, I don't know about you. I didn't go to law school. I'm not a lawyer. But I'm an American. And the one thing that I thought that all Americans agreed on, and I think all Americans do, with the exception of 
a handful of people at the White House, is that no person, they used to say no man, no person is above the law, okay? I, I think that for all of our existence as a great country, men and women, young and old, rich and poor, liberal, conservative, gay and straight, you name it, we all could agree on one principle. No person is above the law. Boom. That's out the window. Uh Uh-uh. Donald Trump's attorneys say he is above the law. And by the way, this memo was leaked. This memo to the New York Times, as I mentioned. Well, who leaked it? Listen, Robert Mueller didn't leak it. (laughs) No way. Nothing is leaked out of Robert Mueller's shop. This was leaked by the White House because they're trying to make this argument. They're trying to build this case that you can't touch um, Donald Trump because he's president. So let's move to the Sunday show, and we'll play a sound for you here in just a second. If that's not bad enough, Rudy Giuliani, who who can't stop talking. By the way, I, I really think, I don't know about you, that every time Rudy opens his mouth, it gets worse. I don't know why. so bad. Seriously. It's so bad. Seriously. Remember, he's the guy who's who outed the fact that Donald Trump knew all about Stormy Daniels, that he reimbursed, that he agreed to pay her $130,000 for Michael Cohen to pay her, and that he reimbursed Michael Cohen in installments. And not only that, Rudy said he probably paid off a lot of other women uh, <laughs> the same way. So why does this help Donald Trump? And so Rudy goes out and and ups the case even yesterday by saying not only can he not be subpoenaed, not only can he not be charged with obstruction of justice, but Rudy Giuliani says he cannot he can pardon himself. He he can pardon himself. He's got that authority that if he commits a crime, he can he can he can say I can't be punished because I'm president of the United States. Not only that, he goes one step further. He said, "Not he cannot. He can pardon himself, but he can't even be guilty of committing a crime." Rudy Giuliani actually told the Huffington Post that Donald Trump could have shot James Comey instead of firing him. He could have shot and killed him and not be charged with a crime. Just stop right there. Again, I don't care if you're Republican or Democrat. Do you really believe that? Do you really believe that when we elect somebody as president of the United States, they're untouchable? They can do anything they want? That's what these people are arguing. This is worse than Nixon. Remember, Nixon told David Frost in that incredible interview, what I'm saying is when the president does it, it's not illegal. No, (laughs) Well, I guess they're saying that, but in spades now with, with Donald Trump. You it's know, it, unbelievable. I, I saw that Rudy comment about him pardoning himself, right? Because the one about when the president does it, that means it's not illegal, is obviously BS, right? Like, we know that that's just not true. But can yeah. the president pardon himself? Maybe. Maybe. Like, there are legal experts that are kind of split on this, but that gives well, Trump enough daylight to actually fight it. Yeah. The reason legal experts are actually are split on it is because it's never happened. It's never happened. Right. So lawyer, the typical lawyer, is always going to say, well, there's this case and that case. 
is sort of like a classic debate thing. You can argue both sides of it, and then the court will decide. That's what you get from the lawyers. But there's no, but all of them will say, really, no. But the answer, the ultimate answer is going to be no, meaning the president could do it, yeah, but not get away with it. Right. Is what they're really, what they're really saying. So uh, at any rate, it just it just goes on and on and on. So on that question, uh, can he pardon himself? Here is a Rudy Giuliani with George Stephanopoulos on this week, yesterday. Uh, sure, he can. He has no intention of pardoning uh, himself, but he probably doesn't say he can't. Doesn't say he can't. That's the that's the that's the best like hurdle to get over. Yeah, it's the beg for forgiveness is easier than asking for permission. Mm-hmm. Doesn't say I can't yeah. do it, so I might as well do it. Right. And, and uh, just jumping down, he does say this is sort of like an open question again, but um, that, that third bite there, I think, Peter. Yeah. It would be an open question. I think it would probably get answered by, gosh, that's what the Constitution says, and if you want to change it, change it. <laughs> no. What a great defense. Yeah, I mean, I think, no, I think we'll get answered by the Supreme Court. But also just the idea that he would do it. Well, some other people... By the way, do you do think it. Trump is above doing it? No. No, of course not. No, no. Uh, Preet Bahara, who was the U.S. attorney uh, in the Southern District of New York until Donald Trump fired him, uh, said on CNN yesterday that uh, this is so outrageous a claim. He said if he did it, if he did it, it would be, um, he called it immediate, no, self-enforcing impeachment. I mean, he would be bringing impeachment on himself. And by the way, he's not the only one who said that. Chris Christie yesterday appearing also on this week, former U.S. attorney, uh, said the same thing. Rudy left open the possibility of the president pardoning himself, even though he says he doesn't expect him to do it, he would have the right to do it. Now, listen, there's no way that'll happen. And the reason it won't is because it then becomes a political problem, George. If the president were to pardon himself, he'll get impeached. Yeah, impeached. Do you impeached. believe that? What, if he were to pardon himself, he'd be impeached? Yeah, even, the, even, even like, like, let's just, let's just say that it's still a Republican House and Senate. No. Yeah, no, he doesn't get impeached. No. Not by the Repu- not Republicans, by Republicans would never impeach him. They no have apps we we've, we've already established that. Yeah. They're they're not redeemable. I'd like to think that Chris Christie is right. I'd like to think that the people are right who said that he'll get I believe Chris Christie, but I I don't have any confidence at all in Paul Ryan or Mitch McConnell or no. whoever or Kevin McCarthy or whoever takes uh, Paul Ryan's place. No. Um th- these Republicans are irredeemable. They are in they own lock stock and barrel by Donald Trump. They have sold themselves. Get, they didn't they they didn't even get any money for Cheap. it. They yeah. gave themselves away, right? Total bend over for Donald Trump. No, they would not. But uh, any other Congress would, I think. And at one time, even the Repu- there were Republicans uh, who would do so. So that's that's the one issue on this on this pardon. So, by the way, on that other, other thing that Rudy Giuliani said, that if he shot— here, Here's what he told Huffington Post, so we don't have the sound for this, but in an interview after he was on the Sunday shows, he told Huffington Post, quote, if he shot—this is the idea that he could do anything once and not be, and not, and not be charged with a crime. Rudy Giuliani, quote, if he shot James Comey, he'd be impeached the next day. Impeach him, and then you can do whatever you want with him. So he couldn't be charged with a crime, but on the Constitution, he could be impeached, and he would be impeached the next day 
And once you impeach him, then you can do anything else with him. And that gets back to Chris Christie saying if he did that, he would be impeached. I, I just find it curious that Rudy Giuliani and Chris Christie and all these people, they keep talking impeachment. They keep talking. First of all, they condemn Maxine Waters or Al Green or Brad Sherman or any of these Democrats who have put forth the idea of maybe we should have some impeachment hearings. But they're the ones who keep talking about impeachment could happen. It's kind of, I just find it, you know, kind of bizarre. It's a good point. Yeah. They're certainly talking about it more than Democrats are. They are. No, they are. And then on this idea about whether he would meet with Robert Mueller, Rudy Giuliani, back to him on on on, uh, on this week. Um, well, are we going to meet or not? Well, let's see. Maybe, but we're we're leaning. He, and he re- references Jay Sekulow here. We're leaning against it. Jay and I want to keep an open mind, and I have to just be honest. I mean, with leaning toward not, uh, but. Look, if they can convince us that it will be brief, it'll be to the point, there are five or six points they have to uh, clarify, and with that, we can get this over, this long nightmare for the, uh, for the American public over. Now, <laughs> imagine being I, so consumed with yourself that you think that you oh, could God. go to a federal prosecutor and with a list of demands and say, if you meet this list of demands, then I'll speak with you, but not for very long. Right, right. Uh, and, you know, <laughs> a couple of things about that. First is... There's, it's very clear. Let's be honest. Why don't they want to have a meeting with Robert Mueller? Why? Because they don't trust Donald Trump to tell the truth. That's it. It's as clear as that. They know Donald Trump. They know it's impossible to be in a room with him for five minutes that he has doesn't tell five lies. If he can't, he can't get through five, five minutes without telling a few lies. He's not going to get through an hour or two hours without committing perjury, without perjuring himself. They know that. They admit that. Yeah. They don't trust their client to tell the truth. You have to remember that. That's what this is really all about. That's what this is all about, right? Okay, number one. Number two, did we learn anything from Bill Clinton? I mean, this is the same argument that Bill Clinton, he's too busy. They made for him. Oh, he's too busy. Oh, no, this is irrelevant. We're not going to. Well, we have to we have to figure out what kind of questions they're going to ask, you know, uh, with this whole white water investigation, the Ken Starr thing. And they went through this and through this. And in the end, the Supreme Court said, no, you're, you, know, you may be president, but, you know, you got to meet with him. You got, And so they did. And they sat down. So I think eventually Donald Trump is going to have to sit down with Robert Mueller and they can make all the arguments that they want. They're not going to hold up because, again, I do come back to, at least I believe in this country, we still believe in the principle that no person... Uh, is above the law. Uh, and final thing on this, I got to say, and I made this point yesterday on MSNBC with Alex Witt. I love doing Alex Witt on the weekend. She's really, really, really good. Um, I, I, I keep coming back to what Trey Gowdy said. Uh, Trey Gowdy from South Carolina, uh, hardly a liberal Democrat. I mean, he's a real Trumper, right winger, uh, stepping down. And Trey Gowdy said, look, they ought to, if, they, if the president is as innocent as he says he is, if nothing really happened, if they have nothing to be afraid about, why don't they just let this investigation take its course? Why are they acting so guilty? You know, I think we have to keep asking that. They are acting like the guiltiest people who want to avoid 
answering any questions because they know they're going to get caught. Uh, it just doesn't uh, doesn't add up. So we're, here we face it. I, I think you talk about everybody says, oh, one of these days we're going to be in a constitutional crisis. I think we're there. I think we are in a constitutional When the president's attorneys are out there arguing, and not just on a talk show, a 20-page memo they sent to the special counsel asserting that the Remember this. What they're saying is that their guy, Donald Trump, elected by the American people, because he's in the Oval Office, he can't be touched. He's above the law. He doesn't have to answer a subpoena. He can't be called to testify. He can't be charged with a crime, can't be charged with obstruction of justice. He can pardon himself. I mean, this is incredible what they're what they're asserting. Uh, and that's where we are today. Um, by the way, I just—I don't know whether you noticed. I, re, I didn't even realize this, but I think it was the Hill pointed out yesterday at noon. Sunday at noon was the anniversary of 500 days of Donald Trump. Oh, geez, think about that. And you know what I've been thinking ever since is, um, what did he accomplish in 500 days? I honestly cannot. Let's run down the list. Right. Now, I I could I invite you to do so. Send us your comments on Twitter at BP show. I'll tell you one thing. I can list lots of bad things that he did. I think I can list lots of things that he undid like the Paris Accords, like the Iran nuclear deal, like TPP, like NAFTA, like trying to undo NAFTA, uh, Obamacare like all the environmental regulations that Scott Pruitt has trashed. I can list lots of those things. But what did he positively do? What good has Donald Trump, what, name one good thing that Donald Trump has accomplished. I would not list tax cuts for the wealthiest of Americans as a good thing. And I would not list putting Neil Gorsuch on the Supreme Court as a good thing. But those are two things that he's accomplished on that side of the ledger, if you will, Otherwise, it's just been trash and trash and burn for five hundred days, right? I mean, I'm, I yeah, I mean, seriously, I I'm trying to think. I can't think of anything. I'm sure that people can let us know on Twitter at BP Show. You know, the one thing I keep coming back to is that one time when Ryan Zinke said we can go back to trophy hunting of elephants, and then Donald Trump said, "No, we can't." But, but then they res- they reversed that. But I think they reversed. They that. did. They reversed that. Yeah. Right. So I would. So it was a good thing for a little while. Then you can't even give him credit for that, right? No. No, you can't. Five hundred days. Okay, that's five hundred days. Um, maybe that sounds bad. Yeah, but guess what? Uh, there are nine hundred and sixty days left. Because today's five oh one. Okay, that was. <laughs> there, 961 actually left. That's a bummer. That was, that's, uh, that's a, a real bummer. bummer. Yeah, right. Think about that. I actually thought for a second, like 500 days has been a long time. There can be much longer left, but mm-hmm. no, there's a lot more to go. That's, yeah. Assuming Not, he doesn't get impeached. Assuming he doesn't get impeached, 961 days left as of noon uh, today. Damn. Right. Oh, man. Uh, there were some good job numbers uh, uh, on Friday, uh, 223,000 jobs. Uh, in the month of May, which is good. That is the ninth year of the American recovery. 
again, we point out eight years of that, of course, were under uh, Barack Obama. Uh, so the Obama recovery continues, uh, is the word on the economy. And the unemployment rate is down to 3.8%, which is very, very, very good. And, and by the way, that economy uh, and the health of that economy, even though it's not even across the board, we know a lot of people are not uh, are not enjoying um, that economic recovery, that those numbers have not lifted all boats, but that will have an impact on the midterm elections for sure. Uh, and yes, uh, the summit is back on. It's on of after the <laughs> a representative from Kim, Kim Jong-un who met in New York with uh, Secretary of State uh, Mike Pompeo came down to the White House and delivered a letter to the president of the United States, hand-delivered a letter. In this day, I find it so kind of old-fashioned. I'm surprised he didn't arrive in a horse and buggy. Right, right. He's delivering a handwritten letter, right, to the president, or a letter signed and by, by the way, Kim Jong-un. a gigantic letter. It was big, yeah. It was like poster board. Huge. Right, letter. Yeah, a huge right. letter. And Donald Trump said, oh, man, wouldn't you love to know what is in this letter? A letter was given to me by Kim Jong-un, and that letter was a very nice letter. Oh, would you like to see what was in that letter? Would you like How much? How much? How much? Oh, wouldn't you love to see what's in it, right? Yeah. How much? How much? How much would you tell me? Well, then they ask him, okay, now, what was in this letter that you liked, and did you reply to anything in this letter? Even by Trump's standards, that was a moment. I know, that was a moment. Well, um, so it looks like, again, Donald Trump did announce that the summit is back on. Uh, He's uh, gotten away from all this anger and hostility uh, that he was unhappy with uh, last week. Uh, And uh, it is going to happen. I talked to a couple of friends of mine yesterday, uh, one of whom is going to be uh, there, has already heard, is going to be on Air Force One um, as part of the press corps, so they're they're going ahead and filming up. Another one with the Secret Service is going to be on this trip. So they're, it's going forward, actually. There are a few things that haven't been decided yet, and the New York Times points out this morning. Here, here are some of the things they have to negotiate yet. Uh, where the meeting will be held in Singapore, they're not sure yet in what hotel or what building or whatever. Uh, from that to which leader sits where at the table, who is allowed in the room with them, the number of meals and breaks, and what to use what to use in a toast between the two leaders, because Donald Trump doesn't drink alcohol, so will it be like orange juice or what? Uh, what gifts could be exchanged? And here's the big one. Who pays for what? Because the North Korean officials do insist and have insisted in the past that the host government pay for Kim Jong-un's hotel bill, which reportedly could cost as much as $6,000 a night. Mm, He likes uh, fine accommodations. 
But that's a dapper. By the way, so that's... does Donald Trump. Sure. I think that's probably expensive even for Mar-a-Lago. <laughs> Uh, but they said when, for example, when the uh, the delegation went to uh, South Korea for the Olympics, the, from North Korea went to South Korea for the Olympics, the South Korea South Korean government paid the hotel meal and transportation expenses for the North Korean delegation. Uh, they also paid South Korea paid for a delegation from North Korea to attend the Paralympic Games. So North Korea is saying, okay, we'll come to the summit, but <clears throat> the United States has to pay, or Singapore has to pay, or somebody else has to pay. Now, you know, I'd like to see this summit take place. I don't want to pay for Kim Jong-un's hotel room. I, I mean, I'm glad to pay my taxes, but I'd like to see them go for something a little more worthwhile uh, than paying for Kim Jong-un's hotel room. Yet to be negotiated, but looks like June 12 in Singapore, the summit will take place. And Donald Trump admitting right now that this is not going to be hardly the final word on the summit. Uh, this is going to be the beginning of conversation. We got two in and a half words, weeks to go. He, the, he could cancel again. It's not two and a half weeks. It's a week and a day. Oh, is it a week and a day? Yeah, I guess I guess that's right. Today's the fourth. Yeah, I was for some reason I was thinking it was the twenty first. I got the twelve yeah, yeah. backwards. Right. Yeah, yeah. No, like we, they, he could change this. By the way, he could yeah. change this. This summit could still fall apart. Absolutely. Yeah, it could. But even if it goes forward, he says, you know what? It's going to be the beginning of a conversation. You know what that means? It's going to be one big photo op. That's all he wants. That's all Kim Jong Un wants. I'm convinced they just want the picture, shaking hands. That could do that and then walk out. By the way, I want to play one one final clip. We didn't have time to play earlier. Yeah. Uh, Bill Richardson was on this week, oh. and he says that is going to be the thing that everybody should fear, it turning into a photo op. I believe uh, the danger now is that this will be a gigantic uh, photo op. Uh, That's all it's going to be. Yeah. That's nobody, all it's going to be. And nobody knows North Korea better than, than Bill Richardson. I'm glad to hear that he and I... Uh, are saying the same thing on this, right? Indeed. Well, one thing that's big news also we haven't had a chance to talk about yet is Donald Trump is back on uh, tariffs, tariff trigger happy, tariff happy against Mexico, Canada, and the EU. Megan Casella from Politico joins us next to talk about what these tariffs are all about and who will they hurt and what these other countries might do in response. Stay tuned. Quick break. We'll be right back here. Monday edition of the Bill Press Show. This is the Bill Press Show. And on a Monday, June 4, the Bill Press Show coming to you live from Washington, D.C. Great to see you today. And thank you for joining us. We're brought to you today by the International Association of Steelworkers, United Steelworkers and their international president, Leo Girard. The United Steelworkers, North America's largest industrial union, representing one, two million active and retired members. Check out their website at usw.org. And talking about tariffs, um, they are uh, big supporters of the president's tariffs on steel um, because they believe it will uh, uh, help their help their members and help the steel industry, uh, the American steel industry bounce back. Uh, there are uh, others with a different point of view. We'll hear from some of them today. And Megan Casella joins us from Politico, who covers this issue for Politico. Megan, it's good to see you. Thanks for having me. Meanwhile, um, just uh, catching up with some of the things we talked about in our first half hour, 
uh, Peter. Let's yes, indeed. Check, we are uh, on. Check the comment line. Yeah, we're on Twitter at BP Show, at BP Show. We just tweeted out a poll uh-huh. uh, asking you, will Donald Trump try to pardon himself? <laughs> Uh-huh. Two two answers there that you could choose from, yes or no. Uh, we've already had, like, a, it's, it's only been up for a couple minutes, uh, but we've already had several votes. As of now, 91% say yes. Nine <laughs> will. 9%, 9% say no. Uh, about all the impeachment talk, by the way, that you were talking about, uh, Phil says impeachment talk from the GOP is a dog whistle for the fan base to turn out in November so that they can save their president. Also, David on Twitter says, the question I want answered is, so what crime is he pardoning himself from? The fact that Rudy is putting the balloon or putting this balloon up means he must think they have something on him. Yeah, that's that, that's what I keep coming back to. Yeah. Why, are they all, why are they talking about Donald Trump pardoning himself Yeah, or being impeached? Find us on Twitter at BP Show, at BP Show. You can weigh in on any topic at any time. So, Megan, are we in a trade war? I would say not yet. I think most economists and lawmakers you'll talk to will say not yet. But the tricky thing is is where things are going to go from here. We have Trump last week imposing tariffs on allies. There's also a number of um, actions against China that the administration is planning to carry out. Those allies and China um, have all pledged to retaliate. And so I think the interesting question is going to be once that retaliation moves forward, will the U.S. administration move forward again to, to impose more tariffs or other restrictions? Or will things sort of level out after that? But some of them have already they said you said they've pledged to. Some of them have already done so, haven't they? I mean, absolutely. Yep. They all said um, last week it was Canada, Mexico, and the European Union who had been hoping to escape these tariffs. Um, that the administration said we're going to go ahead and impose them, and those became effective on Friday. And all three said that you know they have these retaliation lists ready. They know exactly what they're going to do in order to respond. So how does a tariff work? What does a tariff mean? Because we keep hearing this phrase thrown around. But sure. I mean, literally what it is is... Like take is, a, give us an example of a product and how it would change what people pay for it. Sure. Yes. So steel that's coming into the United States. Uh, the president wants and is now imposing <clears throat> a tariff, a 25% tariff on a steel product that's coming in. That's supposed to dissuade consumers from purchasing and, and manufacturers So in other words, we would, steel. if that comes in from Canada, right, mm-hmm. you'd have to pay 25% more than you pay today. Certainly. Okay. So if it's a it's a forty dollar product, it's going to cost fifty dollars now with the tariff on it. It's supposed to be a way of of um, encouraging manufacturers and consumers to produce uh, to purchase domestic steel. But but then that cost trickles down. So you know many economists will say tariffs are solely a tax on consumers. That um, companies are sort of a you know they'll take the hit for a little while, but then they'll pass it off to their consumers. Those are, you know, products that include steel, like like autos. But then, if you think of a company, um, even like Walmart, even if you're just buying any any product from Walmart, they're using steel in their shelving and that sort of thing. So that's still a cost that they're going to take, and and other um, th- their prices will increase. And then the other countries will say, for example, C- Canada might say, what or wheat that we're exporting or something. They'll put they'll slap a tariff on something that we're exporting. Absolutely. So they're, um, they have a whole list of products ranging from, you know, of course, a number of steel and aluminum products, but also miscellaneous things um, like aftershave was on the list. And whiskey, I think, was on the list that they put forward. It's billions of dollars worth of goods. And what they're trying to do is say, OK, you know, you're hitting us this way. We'll hit you right back in a way of making it harder for U.S. producers to sell their products in Canada. 
we um, uh, heard from one, a, a lot of different farmers, but here, here's one farmer from the Central Valley of, uh, of California uh, who's talking about the impact this would have on his, his crops, his business. With these tariffs, it's going to make the product too expensive for the consumers in Mexico and in Canada and in the EU. And what's going to happen is we're not going to be able to sell all of our crop. Uh, and that's going to be like across the board with a lot of farmers. You mentioned whiskey. I understand one of the things that I think the EU is saying, Kentucky bourbon, yeah. right? They're going to slap a tariff on Kentucky What's bourbon. What's more American than that? There you <laughs> go. Kentucky bourbon. Yeah. Absolutely. Right. Yeah, these countries are targeting all sorts of agricultural products. One, because farmers are a huge part of President Trump's base, and they want to choose sort of politically sensitive goods in an effort to try to get, you know, the administration and Congress to, to react and try to protect uh, their constituents. So um, this whole idea... What's the alternative to tariffs, I guess? I mean, free trade? Is that where, where uh, people just freely exchange? And, and But then you end up with, I mean, what the president, I don't understand this, I, I must admit. <laughs> when the president says, he says, well, there are these trade deficits and they're being unfair to the United States and we're the losers the way things are now, which is why we have to slap these tariffs on. Mm -hmm. He's Do so we have a trade deficit with all of these countries? We do, and with Canada, um, we often have a surplus, but the president and Canada use different numbers. Right. Um, with other countries, Mexico, it's fairly the biggest one. Um, but, you know, everyone says that trade deficits aren't any marker. They shouldn't be used as an indication of how healthy an economy is, of how healthy a trade relationship is. You know, one thing, for example, that makes the U.S. deficits larger is that the U.S. dollar is very strong compared to other currencies. So that's something that, you know, you wouldn't want to fault the United States for. Um, so we always have had um, free trade with most of these countries. The World Trade Organization has been in place and, and trade deals like NAFTA have been in place to try to get those um, tariffs as close to zero as they can. Um, the alternative in this situation, you know, the root of the issue, most people agree across the world that it's China's overcapacity of steel and overproduction of steel um, in this case. And so, you know, critics of the tariffs say that the alternative is to get allies on our side and to have everyone work together to uh, combat Chinese trade, uh, steel practices and that sort of thing. But, you know, uh, the president has sort of bucked all of that and instead moved forward unilaterally. Well, um, now, isn't there, is there any forum? Is it, is it the World Trade Organization? So if a country objects to these tariffs, can mm -hmm. they say, hey, what Trump is doing is unfair and he shouldn't be allowed to get away with this? But do yep. they have any authority to stop it? They do. Uh, that's what they they were put in place to, you know, arbitrate these international disputes. It is slow moving. That's one thing. It'll take a while. But these countries, Canada um, and Europe and, and a number of other countries have already launched their World Trade Organization disputes. But if the World Trade Organization came out and said, nope, what you're doing, Donald Trump, is wrong, he could just ignore it. He. That's the concern. The growing concern is that. The WTO and he is, would ignore it. <laughs> it's likely. He's criticized. He's long criticized the WTO. And the concern in the trade world now that many people are beginning to discuss is that the WTO is going to become collateral damage in any trade war. That, you know, the Trump administration, any decision that they're frustrated by, they'll just say, OK, fine, you think that, but we're going to, you know, pull out of the WTO and we're going to um, start ignoring all of the rules. Right. Um, so, yeah, you know, he, he, he doesn't he hasn't shown. Um, a, a great um, inclination to stand up for 
international agreements that Certainly we've made not. in the past. I mean, Paris Accords, Iran nuclear deals. You can Trans-Pacific Partnership. Can go, yeah, yeah, you can go. You <laughs> can go right down the list. So ultimately, who do you think uh, is going to be hurt by these these tariffs? I think absolutely. If this continues the way, if everything moves forward the way it looks like it could, uh, U.S. consumers are going to be hit and producers as well. Producers are concerned now of getting hit with a one-two punch um, in a way because, one, they have to pay more for steel and aluminum to build their products, and then they're also going to have a harder time selling them overseas because of the retaliation. Um, so producers and consumers in the United States are going to are gonna feel uh, these tariffs, certainly. Okay. Now, some people say, and I saw that Larry Kudlow, the president's chief economic, economic advisor, said over the weekend, don't get too upset by these tariffs. It's really no big deal. I mean, this is not a trade war. I mean, we're just starting a negotiation. I think he referred to it as a family feud, sort of <laughs> like with Canada. Like, we're really we're really buddy-buddy. We're great friends. You know, mm-hmm. we're just trying. We're, and I also saw... Prime Minister Trudeau said, "Nonsense, right? This right. is this is serious stuff. Don't try to downplay this, right?" Yeah, it was interesting. You know, Prime Minister Trudeau normally soft-spoken, very, yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, trying to have a good rapport with the president. This was sort of, it seemed like the straw that broke the camel's back in a way that we saw him come out last week and was very forceful. Um, his foreign minister said had some quote to the um, effect of, "You know, we need to underscore how truly absurd these tariffs are," um, and and. So that's going to be interesting, you know, how those relationships well, develop. Yeah, and it's kind of hard to follow where we are on this because first Donald Trump announced these things, mm-hmm. and then he says, oh, well, we're not going to include Mexico and Canada because they're our friends. Oh, no, then we're not going to include the EU because they're our friends too, right? Right. And then we're not going to be as tough on China as we said we were. Or we're going to be t- But then he turns around last week and says, mm-hmm. no, we are going to go after Canada and Mexico, and we are going to after, after the EU. And we're going to slap even more. So it's on again, off again. I mean, what does that tell you about the White House? Is there some internal battle going on? Absolutely. It's sort of the war behind the trade war, right? The internal White House war. And that, you know, all of these advisors are sparring over what the best way to proceed is, what the best way um, to tackle trade challenges is. I mean, Gary Cohn (laughs) resigned. Over the Over last this. first round of tariffs. Absolutely. And he was he was a moderate force. He was an ardent free trader. He's very anti-tariffs. And he would go to bat and, and would ho- have battles with other White House advisors to try to, to try to keep the trade policy more moderate. And then when he lost and, and the president went ahead in March, that is when he resigned. But Larry Kudlow on the air when he was on CNBC was always anti-tariffs, saying the big mistake, he's an t- ultimate free trader. So what does he do? He's caved in or changed his mind? I think it seems, you know, from what I can tell and, and from what some of our reporting shows, he has those views that Gary Cohn did. He's, you know, anti-tariff free trader, as you say, but he's not as willing to stick his neck out as, as Gary Cohn was. It seems like he's, you know, he's he's sort of more of a compromiser and trying to say, well, there's all these different views. What can we do that, that makes everyone sort of happy? And then Steve Mnuchin mm-hmm. also at one point was saying, no, we're not going to go to war with China. You know, we're, we're, we've, we've talked with China. And this was just, I mean, this, this stuff changes too- so fast, right? This was just yeah. 10 days ago maybe he was saying, no, we've talked with China. Everything, we've all agreed, every, we've smoothed everything out. And then it turns around, boom, the yeah. president goes the other way. I think this was a really clear illustration of, of how divided White House advisors are in that it, it came into the public light here because it, Mnuchin said the trade war is on hold. That was his direct quote was the trade right. war is on hold. 
And then a week later, the president or so moves forward with these um, new tariffs on China. And Peter Navarro, another White House advisor, was asked about Mnuchin's quote, and he called it an unfortunate soundbite. You know, when there was clear frustration on on both parties and, and, you know, they really let it spill over to the public view how divided they are on some of these trade well, policies. Well, ultimately, I guess the hardliner is Trump. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, yeah. Even asked, you know, there's all these different advisors. And, and we asked the White House last week, who is ultimately in charge of all of this? And some people say no one. And then, you know, others say the final arbiter really is Trump himself. And his his mind could change by the hour. And to what extent? Is all of this wrapped up in NAFTA? It's definitely going to influence how the NAFTA renegotiation is going. And the concern is that it could also push Trump to withdraw from NAFTA, as he had threatened last year. But he's since sort of walked that back a little bit until now. Um, part of the reason Canada and Mexico got that initial exemption or a break from the tariffs, they weren't going to be hit right away, was because the administration is working on the NAFTA talks. And they thought that, you know, in that venue, they could work on some of these um issues with the trade deficit and with steel and aluminum and that sort of thing. But Wilbur Ross, when he was announcing the tariffs last week, said that it was largely in part because they hadn't made enough progress on NAFTA. And and now, you know, Canada and Mexico have almost no incentive to bend to any of the U.S.'s NAFTA demands if they're already getting hit with these tariffs. So when Wilbur Ross is awake... <laughs> um, <laughs> sleeping eyes, Wilbur Ross. Sleeping eyes. Is, is he a hardliner? On, I guess he's the Mr. Tariff guy. Is that... He is a hardliner on China. Um, he's had less to do with NAFTA, just because it's not ex- directly under his purview. Yeah. Um, okay. But but I do think more often he's in the hardline camp. All right. But so back to NAFTA. So the negotiations are continuing, right? Mm-hmm. Is that Canada, United States, Mexico? For now, they are continuing. They had started last August. They wanted them done by December and then by March, and they missed both of those deadlines. And then because of a series of these statutory deadlines laid out in some congressional legislation, if they wanted any chance of passing a deal through Congress this year, they had to finish by mid-May. Then they missed that deadline, too. (laughs) So even though negotiations are ongoing, there's no clear indication of when they'll wrap up or how or whether and when Congress would pass it. And at this point, it would be the new Congress. So it could be a Democratic Congress. It could be a very different makeup from the current Congress. Overall... Is there any fair evaluation of whether NAFTA has been good for American consumers, good for American workers, jobs, or not? Overwhelming analysis says that it that it has been, but that there, of course, are those who have been hurt by NAFTA. That there's there's two sides of it, but that there's stronger evidence that I mean, it was a, a net benefit for the economy. How about for American workers? I mean, labor unions are still 100% opposed to, to NAFTA. Right, certainly. I, I think um, look when you know economists um, analyze it, they say uh, the benefit for consumers for prices um, and the economy overall that outweighs the jobs that were lost. Other jobs um, are are dependent. But it did on mean that. a lot of jobs. Remember, I remember Ross Perot, that giant sucking that sound. That giant sucking sound. That <laughs> giant sucking sound. Right, right. But were those jobs going south of the border and to those macchiaduras, a lot of them right along the border? Certainly. Right? They were far from the border. and But they were they were Mexican jobs now, not American jobs. I think Certainly. that's continued. They were jobs lost and also jobs, jobs created as well. But the NAFTA thing is also, it's one of those things that Donald Trump and Bernie Sanders kind of saw eye to eye on if you look yeah. at what they said yeah. during the campaign. Mm-hmm. About you know American work, I think they sort of were coming at it from two different viewpoints, but they were they were certainly American uh, trade deals, which yeah, have, which have hurt American workers. Yeah, 
And so that 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 raises the issue of TPP, which mm-hmm. is where now. The, is it still on? <laughs> it's the other uh, eleven <laughs> remaining countries have moved forward. They signed a deal. They're moving forward, and and um, they're that's coming into fruition right now. Uh, the U.S. is outside of it, but the other eleven remaining countries they suspended some of the provisions that were U.S. specific or U.S. demands, but I've said that they'll put them back in place if and when the U.S. wants to rejoin. Right. Doesn't look like this administration wants to do that, but it's there. Okay. And um, so it's the U.S. and Mexico and and Canada with NAFTA, mm-hmm. and then the Asian countries with with uh, with TPP. Uh, and now, in terms of the trade war or whatever it is mm-hmm. with the European Union, what are the what are, what are the big issues there, and where are we? And have they retaliated? Germany, France, UK, and what do they? What do we hear? Yes, they say they're retaliating as soon as as soon as they can, um, mm. as soon as they can. They have a whole list of things. Again, they're they're picking those politically sensitive goods. The so, Kentucky Bourbon, Harley Davidson is from Paul Ryan's district. Oh, I yeah. Okay, so they will. They can cherry pick, if you will, mm-hmm. American goods that are being sold that are popular in Europe, being sold in Europe, and and slap a tariff on those. Absolutely, and that's exactly what they're going to do. They're picking goods that will hurt specific districts in the U.S., and they're also picking products that won't hurt European consumers or producers as much because they have a domestic supply. Right. Uh, that's interesting. Go through and see what is made in. We uh, we know the bourbon made in Mitch McConnell's district. Yep, you exactly. say the Harley Davidson and Paul Ryan's district. Yep, absolutely. A number of um, agricultural products as well because of farmers and and red state lawmakers who. Um, uh, also- uh, uh, and so that's that's I guess what a trade war is that 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 they then discontinue back and forth and re- keep upping, mm-hmm. upping the tariffs and adding products and then. Absolutely. So, you know, when I I talk to some people, what I think was interesting was I talked to someone once who gave the quote, you know, the trade war is going to be dependent on what happens in round two. Round two is going to be interesting. So we have the first set of tariffs and the first set of retaliation. And so then if we enter a round two, that maybe that's where, you know, people might be more willingly using the word trade war that we're we're clearly on our way there. But but things could um, level out by then. They could, you know, the two sides could negotiate and work out some other deal. It'll be interesting to see sort of where things progress from the, the tit for tat that we've already at, seen. At what point would the American people feel it hard enough that they could pressure Congress to stop this it's or good. the administration to stop it? Because it seems to me this is happening over the heads of most people now, right? It is. I, I mean, I know we put these tariffs on, but... Nothing that I know of that I bought in the last week, right? Prices have changed because of these tariffs. Is that is that what it's going to take when people actually see in their own pocketbook that they're paying more for a car mm-hmm. or for solar panels or whatever? I think that very well could be what it is, and and that's why we're seeing these other countries try to pinpoint specific districts because they think that the only way that the president and the White House can get convinced off these is when lawmakers realize that their voters in their specific districts are hurt, you know, in a, in a tangible way, you know, that they'll see the price of a car increase by thousands of dollars or, you know, hundreds or thousands of dollars. And and then they'll they'll push back on the president. Even Republican lawmakers will push back on a president from their own party. Right. You know, with the latest round of tariffs, it seems to be that that was sort of a more egregious step that the that blindsided Congress. They thought our allies were going to stay exempt. 
and they are starting to to speak out. Republican lawmakers over the weekend started to say that they're going to support some legislation from last year that hadn't gone anywhere yet that would rein in the president, any president's authority over trade and, and bring it back to Congress. Uh, by the way, we forgot, I forgot to ask about this. So the president did indicate he's considering at least uh, another tariff on foreign cars. He did. That was that was last week as well, or maybe the week before. It's hard to yeah. even keep track. Um, he's looking at uh, launch. He his commerce department is launching an investigation the same way these steel and aluminum tariffs started under the same law, which says that they can restrict uh, imports for national security reasons. Yeah. Um, which it's hard. It's hard to see how imports of I, Subaru and Mercedes Benz are really uh, threatening our uh, national security. Yeah, I, I I think that's a hard argument to make. <laughs> but anyway, the president's going to the G7 summit at Canada at the end of the week, and you know this is going to be front and center. Absolutely. Hey, Megan, thanks so much for coming in. Thanks Follow Megan at Politico. This Politico.com. Is the Bill Press Show. Hey, friends, don't be a stranger. Keep up to date with all of the Bill Press Show happenings around the clock on social media. Here's how. You can follow us on Twitter at BP Show or on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash Bill Press Show and on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. And remember, if you haven't already done so, make sure to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. And while you're there, please rate and review the show. That means a lot to us. And thanks so much for your support. Everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show, live at youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Well, yeah, you know that on again, off again summit? Guess what? Looks like it's back on, at least for now, a week and a day before Donald Trump and Kim Jong un uh, meet in Singapore. At least we think it's going to happen for now. It is on. What do you say? Hello, everybody. It's Monday, Monday, June 4. Good to see you today. And thanks for being part of the program, The Bill Press Show, coming to you live from Washington, D.C., our nation's capital, and our studio right here on Capitol Hill with all the news of the day on many fronts. Yes, the summit is back on. Still lots of things to uh, work out before they actually get together there. But um, President announcing after... uh, a letter hand-delivered to the White House on Friday announcing that uh, he was willing to go forward uh, with the summit. Meanwhile, the president's attorneys are out there uh, in, on many different forums and, and many different ways making the same argument that the president is indeed above the law, despite what we thought about no person was above the law. Their argument is, no, Donald Trump is above the law. He can't be charged with a crime. He can't be forced to testify. He can even pardon himself. He is God. That's what they're basically saying. Uh, So much to talk about. Emma Rallo joins us to help us through it all as a friend of Bill for this hour. From uh, she's senior reporter at Splinter. Hello, Emma. Good to see you. Hello. Good morning. All right. Have a good weekend. I did. I did a lot of boring around the house stuff. Tried to avoid the news as much as possible. Smart. (laughs) Well, yeah. It was. Yeah. With this rainy weekend, it's just a good day to get a lot of stuff around the house done. Right. Yeah. Good time for that. Uh, so we look forward to hearing from you and your comments on the news of the day. Send us your comments on Twitter, at BP Show. We'll jump right into it with Emma and with all of you. But first, 
This is the Full Court the Press. big headlines. Oh, yes. All the big stories making news. Let's talk about the NBA Finals because last night was Game 2. The Cleveland Cavaliers taking on the Golden State Warriors. This one was not as close as Game 1, which went to overtime. The Warriors clearly in control of this game. Mm. They won 122-103. to 103. That means they have a two-game-to-nothing lead in the series. One big reason they are up, Steph Curry. Curry, far hash mark, crossover dribble on Love. Floats it over to Draymond, back to Curry. He'll quick release. It's up, it's good, and he got fouled. He got fouled by Kevin Love. Curry! A four-point play for Steph Curry last night. He set an NBA Finals record by making nine, nine three-pointers oh, over man. the course of the game. Yeah. That that'll win you a championship <laughs> so uh they are up two games to nothing can the cleveland cavaliers and lebron james bounce back stay tuned if you are looking for a change of pace why not move to vermont last week vermont yeah, governor about phil, that. last week vermont governor phil scott signed a bill into law that will pay you ten thousand dollars if you work if you move to vermont and then work remotely for an employer out of state. Yeah. So, Bill, my question is, would I be able to do this job from Vermont? I'm trying to figure out if I can telecommute from Vermont. I don't think so. But if you can do that, if you are able to we work. We can move the whole operation to Vermont. Well, yeah, why not? Uh, if you are someone who can telecommute and you do work from home, move to Vermont. They'll give you 10 gur to move there and continue to work. It's called the Remote Worker Grant Program. It takes effect at uh, the beginning of next year. It helps cover moving, living, and work expenses. You can buy you buy computer software, hardware, internet, access to a co-working space, whatever it is you need to do to make it work. Vermont will make sure that you have it. And, and Ben and Jerry's are there. And Ben and Jerry's and are there. And Bernie's so there. What else could you possibly no, want? I mean, exactly. <laughs> By the way, one final story. Simon Cowell, I know you're a big fan, Bill. Simon Cowell said that he has not picked up his cell phone in 10 months. He doesn't use his cell phone anymore, and he says he's never been happier. I find that hard to believe. I think that's probably right. Think so? Well, I I mean... Oh, leaving it... I I believe it makes you happier, (laughs) yeah. This is the Bill Press Show. Yes, indeed. Uh, The president is above the law. That's what his attorneys say. In a 20-page memo to uh, special counsel Robert Mueller, don't even mess with us, they say, because, um, you know, divine right. Didn't (laughs) Mueller ever hear of that? But Trump's got it. Hey, hello, everybody. What do you say? On a Monday, June 4, great to see you. Thank you for joining us. Thanks for being part of the program, The Bill Press Show, live from Washington, D.C., and joining you all across this great land of ours, everywhere in the United States. We're there with you online on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. We're here with you on Free Speech TV and, of course, out in the greater Chicago area. Hello, hello, WCPT. Lots to talk about today, and to help us through all the news of the day for this hour as a friend of Bill, Emma Roller is a senior reporter at Splinter, splinternews.com. Well, Emma, great to see you. The big news of the day is 
it looks like we're going to see for the first time in 24 days the first lady of the United States. Right, but I, I just saw that she is not going to be at the G7 summit. Is no, she? No. no. She is not. But she's going to be at the Gold Star family reception mm-hmm. today in the White House. It's mm-hmm. true. We have not seen her since um, one reception at the White House 24 days ago. I forget what event that was. And then she went off to Bethesda, had this, they said, minor kidney procedure. Right. Uh, which, and they, she stayed there three or four days back at the White House, has not been seen in public since, which is just kind of weird. Strange. It is a little odd that there has not been more. There have not been more details from the White House about, you know, her medical condition. There was that one tweet that was sent out that that sounded so ghostwritten. It sounded yeah. like Dan Scavino wrote it, to be frank, and it yeah. just saying First Lady is fine. First Lady is fine, and the media should stop worrying about it. Right. But it's just a new, particularly. For the record, she one hundred percent did not write that. Tweet. Oh no. 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 And last week they had a a kids event, you know, at the White House, whatever it was, uh, with us on the South Lawn, mm-hmm. which is sort of her thing, mm-hmm. you know, be best, be mm-hmm. best. And she wasn't there. Ivanka was there. Mm-hmm. This weekend, the president, first daughter, Jared Kushner, Donnie Jr., they all go off to Camp David for the weekend. Mm-hmm. Melania stays, well, we think, at the White House, right? Not At least she didn't go to Camp David. And now they're saying she's not going on to the G summit and seven, and not going to the summit. Either, so yeah, there have been but, a lot of but this twenty four days, mm-hmm. sort of without being seen at the White House is just unusual. Look, I hope she's fine. I just I'm not trying to start any rumors. It's just mm-hmm. weird. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there have been a lot of conspiracy theories flying around. I know, that, I know that you know it was a cos- cosmetic operation or that she was left uh, her husband. Um, I don't. I don't necessarily buy any of that, but it it is odd nonetheless in this, you know, 24-hour media cycle. It's odd to me that Trump has not tweeted about it himself since he finds time to tweet about any other number of things from Roseanne to whatever. Mm -hmm. I just want to be clear, by the way, like... I am not opposed to this show becoming the Alex Jones show where we just start trading uh, conspiracy theories. Yeah. I am. I'm totally on You do board. have a really good Alex Jones impression. Any reason, any reason I could bring out the, the Alex Jones impression, folks, we all know what happened to Melania. We all know exactly <laughs> what happened to Melania. <laughs> you know what I know, and I've seen the papers. We've seen the papers. We've read a lot of stuff about what happened to Melania. We all know what happened to Melania. You've got to, like, shuffle some papers around and hold them up folks, the mic. <laughs> folks, I've got them right here. <laughs> Government does not want you to see these, but I've got them right here. <laughs> Peter Ogburn is the name. The lawsuits, please. <laughs> Send them directly to him. <laughs> My middle name is litigious. <laughs> I don't know him. I never met him. <laughs> so, but he um, does have divine right. Yeah. He's above the law. Well, time for me yeah. to go get that kidney surgery. <laughs> so Rudy Giuliani made some in- incredible statements yesterday, including her, if, uh, he did say that the president can pardon himself. Probably has no intention of doing, but he he can pardon himself. And then he went further than that. He actually said that, quote, in a quote, this is to Huffington Post, Mm -hmm. quote, if he shot James Comey, he'd be impeached the next day. Impeach him, and then you can do whatever you want with him. But in no case, he says, could he be subpoenaed or charged with a crime. He could actually... Shoot, that's what Rudy Giuliani said yesterday. Mm-hmm. He could have shot James Comey and and still not be charged with a crime. 
Why? Because he's president of the United States. I mean, doesn't that contradict everything we stand for or thought we stood for, that no person is above the law? Right. Well, this is the the law and order president, right? Um, Yeah, Yeah, right. (laughs) um, But it does raise the question of, you know, do we fundamentally want to live in a democracy that has checks and balances and where we believe that our presidents are citizens first? um, Or do we want to live in a petite monarchy, which, you know, if you ever talk to diehard Trump supporters... They are willing to have him instated as the king. They love him. And they don't see any problem with, you know, this erosion of checks and balances at all. Uh, So that is kind of the core question in all of this to me. And the fact that Rudy Giuliani is the one, is the person we are looking to. Yeah. I mean, speaking with, not, you know, he's not a Supreme Court justice. But the fact that he's the guy that is setting these new standards or or setting this precedent for us is just so, so laughable. I don't know. It's just sometimes you have to sit back and think about Uh, what a weird hellscape we live in. Well, again, (laughs) we we play this game too too many times. Every time we do, we say we're not going to do it again. But imagine if somebody had made that argument about Barack Obama. Mm -hmm. Oh. Or Hillary Clinton. Oh. Rudy Giuliani would be leading the pack of people saying... I'm a law and order person. I'm former U.S. attorney. I can tell you this is utter nonsense. Right. Of course he would, right? But the, the, So Jay Sekulow, John Dowd, sent this 20-page memo to Robert Mueller where they're asserting the president cannot be subpoenaed, doesn't have to testify, can't be charged, and then Rudy can't be charged with a crime. They say he doesn't have to meet. You know, it's, it's on and on. They're all really saying l'état c'est moi, right? <laughs> Right, and it doesn't. This is Louis Catours at his worst. Mm-hmm. Or, uh, uh, sorry, just ranting on. But I also I watched a little bit of the famous uh, Richard Nixon David Frost interview again last mm-hmm. night, where Nixon said, "What I'm telling you is, when the president does it, it is not illegal." And everybody laughs Nixon off the face of the earth, and here's Donald Trump's attorneys who are asserting the very same thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it is it is a cliche, as you said, but I'm just trying to picture, you know, Valerie Jarrett talking to the press and saying, if President Obama shot, I don't know, fill in the blank, that would be allowed. Um, but it does raise sort of an interesting question of at what point, you know, presidential power has been given vast leeway over the past 10, 20, 30 years to use executive power um, to exercise American uh, w- America's will overseas, whether that means, you know, Guantanamo, whether it means a black site prison in Thailand, whether it means, you know, extrajudicial drones. Uh, the president does have killing power and does not get held to account for, you know, say, civilians in the Middle East being killed by a drone. So that does raise the question of where do you draw the line? Is it if the president himself shoots right. someone? I, I, I think, yeah, and I, and I think that's fuzzy, but, you know, some people, we can make that distinction that, that this, is, this has to do with national security, war, time of war, mm-hmm. whatever. Uh, I, I wouldn't buy those arguments, but I can see that from, from some domestic crime here. If the president 
does perjure himself if the president did obstruct justice, if the president did certainly shoot somebody. Mm-hmm. You know, this. The, what Rudy Giuliani is saying that really is a reflection of Donald Trump saying he was not arguing that he'd be out, that he'd be not prosecutable, but that his base would stay with him mm-hmm. if he walked out on Fifth Avenue and shot right. somebody. This is just an extension of, of that statement. It is. Yeah. Taking it, taking it to the next I'm step, am- maybe. I'm amazed that Rudy Giuliani keeps talking to news outlets in this way, and especially to HuffPost, which is, you know, for the Trump administration, yes. opposition yeah. media. But kudos to HuffPost for getting Giuliani on the record. He keeps saying things like this. I think last just last week he said something to HuffPost that was like... The equivalent of, you know, it's not collusion, but even if it were, that would be fine. <laughs> well, let me tell you, Rudy Giuliani was hired not to be a lawyer. He was hired to be a big mouth on television. I mean, there's True. no doubt. And that's so he's doing what Donald Trump wants wants him to do. I can't I don't believe it helps Donald Trump at all. Rudy Giuliani, we talked about this earlier, is the guy, remember, who said, Oh no, no, Donald Trump knew all about Stormy Daniels. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. He approved paying her $130,000. Oh, yeah. He paid her back in installments. And oh, yeah. And by the way, he probably paid a lot of other women, too. Now, why does that help Donald Trump? Well, here's my theory on that. It's that Donald Trump obviously does not know anything about the first thing about governing, doesn't know the first thing about politics. What he does know is what makes for great TV. And Rudy Giuliani whatever you say about him, mm-hmm. he's making for great TV right now. And we're all engaging in this gigantic spectacle that seems like a spectacle but has very human, re- very real consequences. Yeah, he does. If you, if you can book him for tomorrow, Peter, I'll take him as well, a you guest. Know, it's, it's really funny. Over the weekend, I watched the uh, Netflix. Well, they, if he'll do HuffPost, he'll do the Bill Press show. Sure. He probably would, honestly. Yeah. On, uh, on Netflix, they Let's have that, that, that David Letterman interview thing where he sits down. My next guest needs no introduction. He did Barack Obama first, and he's in a lot of other interesting people. He did uh, the one that they released oh, yeah. over the weekend was Howard Stern. And because Stern used to have Trump on his show all the time, uh, all these tapes oh, that we're hearing oh, oh, of Trump yeah. saying these horrible things came from when he was doing oh, Trump's yeah. show. And yeah. Stern said he is the greatest guest of all time because he knows what, like he knows what people want to hear, and he knows how to be really like open and sometimes crass and honest and all this stuff. But it's very unfiltered. And they talked about sort of how. Both he and Letterman had him on the show all the time as a guest, and how it's a lot different now because you know the the country is going to hell uh, because right. of this great guest. <laughs> but like to your point, no. he gets that he knows that oh, yeah. it's a calculated thing. Oh, totally. Did Stern have any regrets over booking Trump? He actually did talk him? a little bit about it, but he but he admitted he was like, "This is a different thing." I mean, that was a different thing. He was in the ratings business, and Donald Trump was good for ratings way before him running for president was ever anything serious. Right. And they both admitted, like, like you know, uh, 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 Letterman has uh, has kid has a kid. Stern's got two ki- or three kids. And he was saying, they were both talking to each other, just like, it's a lot different now. Because back then we were so focused on our career, and now that they're both sort of in their, the twilight years of their career, they're both like, it's way more important now that, like, our kids have a better future, and it doesn't look like they're going to have that. Yeah. It was, you know, Donald Trump on Stern show said Ivanka was a good piece of ass. Yeah. Mm-hmm. About his daughter. About his daughter, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's the kind of stuff he would do on that show. Yeah. Cringeworthy for sure. 
Um, uh, speaking about cringeworthy people around Donald Trump, uh, it, and also the other segue, I guess, is if Rudy Giuliani is saying that he would pardon himself, we certainly have seen, uh, Emma, uh, lately that the president is pretty loose with his pardons, right? Um, <laughs> and it, it's interesting because, you know, when it comes right down to it, there's not a lot that the president can do, even though he's the most powerful person on the planet, can do unilaterally on his own. But the presidential pardon power is one. Mm-hmm. You know, can't take it away from him. He can pardon anybody he wants, mm-hmm. right? He can pardon Charles Manson. Manson. Mm-hmm. Um, and <laughs> so instead of, he hasn't gone that far yet. But Joe Arpaio, Scooter Libby, and Dinesh D'Souza. Mm-hmm. Why? Well, and, oh, God. Um, so I wrote about this for Splinter, uh, the pardon of Dinesh D'Souza, who, if you're not familiar familiar already, is this conservative commentator. He wrote for National Review. He is... Some really extreme views. Uh, I think it's fair to say that he has explicitly racist views that he's used yeah. his platform to communicate, including mm-hmm. in one of his National Review columns, he talked about quote-unquote rational discrimination and how it's rational to discriminate against certain groups of people because there's reason to do so. Um, so He also wrote, by the way, that slavery, that slaves, rather, were treated as property, which means they were treated very well, quote-unquote, Dinesh D'Souza. Mm-hmm. And so the president pardoned him because this is the reality we are living in now. Him, Joe Arpaio, who has his own record of anti-immigrant oh. racism. Um, yeah, convicted for And convicted. Scooter, Scooter Libby. <laughs> yeah. Which convicted. is just a, a trifecta of bad, bad men. Um, <laughs> yeah. That's what, I mean, that's, yeah. that's uh, absolutely what's happening. And now he's talking about bad men who are also personal friends of Donald Trump and Donald Trump's allies, like Ted Cruz. Ted Cruz was um, the main actor behind Dinesh D'Souza's pardon because they're buddies. Um, Dinesh D'Souza is a convicted felon, uh, which has now been pardoned for illegal campaign contributions. So, Which he admitted to. Right. (laughs) Which is separate from his own onerous personality and views, but... He's both unethical and bigoted, which I feel like is a real encapsulation of, of the times we live in and the people controlling our politics. Right. But so, uh, again, this question of why would he pardon these people, it seems to me there's only one reason, because he's sending a message. Hmm. I am for, uh, uh, Stop for a second. There is a whole process. So as I pointed out, the president does have the power to pardon Um But there's also a whole process in the Department of Justice. There are dozens of attorneys who spend their time reviewing legal cases all around the country as to who might have been unfairly tried, convicted, serving time today, or or out of, but but Mm -hmm. whose record should be cleared. They Mm -hmm. really deserve that, maybe because it was a, 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 a drunk attorney or a failure somehow in the legal system or a racist judge or something, but something went wrong and they should not have been charged. And there are 10, uh, uh, read this last week, there are 10,000 applicants, mm-hmm. 10,000 people who have been reviewed and are pending White House action. Mm-hmm. Donald Trump is not concerned about that at all. 
Mm-hmm. He's just pardoning his friends. Mm-hmm. And he, as you started, I think, mentioned, he, he's even indicated maybe next on the list are two people who are on The Apprentice, Martha Stewart and Rod Blagojevich. Right, which just makes it even Duh. more even more farcical. Um, yeah. I, uh, when Obama was in office, I was somewhat critical of his lack of using using the, his own pardon power. But then toward the end of his second term, he did yeah. let through a, a slew of, I think— you know, thousands of either commutations or pardons um, right before he left office. But let's remember the context of the D'Souza pardon last week, which was it was the day after Kim Kardashian. Think what you will about Kim Kardashian. Say she's vapid, whatever. She went to the White House to advocate, to use her celebrity power to advocate for Alice Marie Johnson, a woman who is a grandmother, who was um, convicted on a first-time nonviolent drug offense to life in federal prison. I believe she was convicted in 1998. So mm. she's been mm. in prison mm. on a first offense nonviolent <laughs> drug charges for the past 20 years. Um, Ridiculous. Kim Ridiculous. Kardashian goes to the White House to yeah. Um, yeah. make no, the case for, for pardoning that, her or commuting her sentence. To me, that's a solid case. And the next day, Donald Trump's administration does two things. They put out a statement celebrating African-American music and entertainment, which seemed to coincide with the release of Kanye West's new album. And it's just so ridiculous knowing what completely any, insane. Yeah, this is completely knowing insane. what anyone in, you know, <laughs> the black entertainment industry, aside from Kanye West, thinks about the president. Um, It's so ridiculous. And then the second thing he does, which is a total slap in the face to Alice Marie Johnson and all of the other people serving nonviolent drug offenses um, in prison and jails across the country, is pardoning this reprehensible lowlife, Dinesh D'Souza. Right. Uh, But again, I keep coming here. Why? It's because I think Donald Trump clearly was sending a message to Paul Manafort and to Rick Gates and to Michael Flynn and also Michael to the, Cohen. Michael, I think it's a Michael I think and to Michael Cohen and to others who haven't been charged yet, Jared Kushner who might be mm-hmm. and others, don't worry, I've got your back. Mm-hmm. I, I th- can pardon them, I can pardon you and I will pardon you. So whatever you do, don't cooperate with Mulder. I think that's exactly right. I think there have been a lot of people who have come out way early and said, oh, wow, Michael Cohen's going to flip. Michael Cohen doesn't want to go to jail. Michael Cohen is going to... I've never totally bought that. Like, if he's really facing serious time, maybe. But I think he's got that weird mafia-type loyalty thing to Donald Trump, even though Trump has done nothing but just take dumps on him the entire time they've known each other. And... For that reason, Donald Trump will just say, hey, baby, I got you. No, no. He's don't saying, flip, don't I forget. got you. I've got the yeah. presidential pardon power. I got the pardon power. I can, I can, Scooter Libby got his law license back. He was making tons of money. There's no reason to pardon him. It's just, again, sending a message. And to your point, Emma, these are reprehensible people that are yeah. getting pardoned. Yeah. Who, 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 Scooter Libby doesn't Scooter need a pardon. Joe Arpaio deserved every bit of punishment that he got. Which, by the way, he wasn't even, he didn't serve any time. Right. He, he wasn't even sentenced. Right. He was, Donald Trump pardoned him before the judge could even sentence him. Which right? is amazing. Yeah. Right. And and I believe that. Scooter Libby yeah. didn't serve any time because no. George Bush 
commuted his sentence. Right, right, right. And that's the difference between a commutation and a pardon oh. is a pardon is— But Dinesh yeah. D'Souza uh, had to serve time in a halfway house in San Diego. Mm-hmm. Poor baby. <laughs> Send me to a halfway house in San Diego for six months. Yeah, please, please. Yeah, yeah. What do I have to do to get that punishment, right? God, make it Ocean Beach if you can. Uh, Mission Hills, I don't care. There are a lot of different parts of San Diego I could enjoy. Yeah, right. <laughs> But P- Peter, I wanted to go back to what what you were saying about Michael Cohen. Does that make him the Fredo in this situation? Oh, that's yeah. a good that's actually a good question. I think he's totally the Fredo in this situation. So who's next on the pardon? Probably probably Martha Stewart and Rob Bergoglio. If he talks about them, he's probably got them got them in in in, in line. Look, but. the the Blagojevich thing was so naked. As soon as you saw his wife go on TV. And talk about Robert Mueller and these guys, they came after my husband and they put him in jail. And now that they've gotten the scalp of a governor, they want to get the scalp of an even bigger target now. They're they're gunning for Donald Trump. And once you realize that that is the arrangement that Donald Trump has worked out with the Blagojeviches, that he needs someone to go out on TV and talk about Robert Mueller and all that, like, then you realize it's it, that's exactly what's happening. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so uh, I don't know whether you missed this yesterday, but um, Peter and I were talking a little bit earlier. Yesterday at noon, yesterday was a milestone. Um, it marked 500 days since Donald Trump was sworn into uh, office. Uh, today is 501 days, and as of noon today will be 501 days, and that leaves 961 days left, assuming he's not impeached uh, in the meantime. And assuming so, he doesn't get a second term. Right. Yes. <laughs> sorry. I have to, sorry yes. to be the downer. Thanks a lot. Right. Okay. So um, we are looking for uh, those people who can help us build the list of all the good things that Donald Trump has accomplished in 500 days. Could you add a few things to the list for us? Mm. Hmm. Silence. Silence. I'm, I'm actually, th- I'm <laughs> thinking. I'm actually trying to think. Mm-hmm. Um, Peter good, and I had a hard time. Things. Peter and I had a hard yeah, time I had too. A really hard time. Uh, I, I just want you to know, uh, but I mean, uh, I mean, okay. Ivanka Trump's brand is booming. That has to be. <laughs> there said. it is. <laughs> yeah, she has a lot of new trademarks in China. She has so many trademarks. <laughs> Beautiful trademark. That is true. Well, okay. If we're going to go down that road, Mar-a-Lago's booming. Mm-hmm. The Trump International Hotel on Pennsylvania mm-hmm. Avenue yep. is. Yeah. Trump Hotel's doing great. Trump Hotel is doing great. Uh, I mean, I'm sure this is all unconnected from Oh, totally. from Trump being president. Yeah. Everyone's just, you know. Right. Um, Mike Piss and his family wrote that book about their bunny rabbit. That that's great for print media. The gay bunny rabbit? No, John Oliver did the gay bunny rabbit. Oh, they did oh. the actual bunny rabbit. Oh, oh I get the good uh, It's good for print, <laughs> good for print uh, print media. Mhm. Right? That's good. I feel like the past 500 days are just like a black hole in my mind. I'm trying to remember individual days and individual news cycles, and it all just blurs together. Well, Republicans together. would say, look, we got Neil Gorsuch on the Supreme Court. Right. Yeah, I would put that on my good list, but, and we got tax cuts for millionaires. Sure. I mean, it's undeniable that despite so, all of their incompetence, Republicans have gotten those, major accomplishments. Those two things. Otherwise, yeah. otherwise, it's more been tear down, like, Tear down Paris. Tear down Iran nuclear deal. Mm-hmm. Tear down TPP. Tear down NAFTA. Tear, try to tear down right. Obamacare. And I, I would add a third notch in uh, Mitch McConnell and, and Paul Ryan's belt, which is 
not just Neil Gorsuch, but federal judges yes. across the country yes. being instituted from um, really conservative judicial societies like the Federalist Society. Um, and that's going to be, this is what I've, I've been saying for a long time, this is going to be the real legacy of the Trump administration is these federal judges appointed across the country who serve yes. um, life. Uh, as it is for any president, and, and, and this president has managed to get, thanks to Mitch McConnell, mm -hmm. um, many more of them through than uh, any other president has in this period of, in this period of time. Uh, meanwhile, as we said, the summit is on again, at least for now, uh, a week and a day from now. What is going on there at the White House with the preparations for the summit and also with the president's attorneys saying that Donald Trump um, is, in effect, above the law. Justin Singh covers the White House for Bloomberg News. Uh, he'll be joining uh, me and Emma Roller and all of you. Coming up next year, quick break. We'll be right back on The Bill Press Show. Take The Bill Press Show anywhere you go. Download our free podcast, search for The Bill Press Show on iTunes, and catch the highlights from every show. And here we are on a Monday, Monday, June 4. Hello, everybody. Welcome back. It is the Bill Press Show. We're coming to you live from Washington, D.C., our studio on Capitol Hill uh, with Congress coming back in town today. Uh, get a little, little more lively here on Capitol Hill. Where we're brought to you today by the International Association of Firefighters, those great men and women of our firefighting departments. You see them rolling by, protecting families every single day. <laughs> Certainly we do here on the Hill because we got a fire department right across the street here. Uh, doing great work uh, and under the leadership of President Harold Schaitberger. We salute them, thank them uh, for their support of the program. Uh, hug a fireman or a firewoman today and uh, keep your neighborhood safe. Emma Roller here from Splinter News as a friend of Bill the entire hour, and we're joined by our good friend from Bloomberg News, covers the White House for Bloomberg. Justin Sink. Hello, Justin. Good to see you. Hey, great to see you. All right. So uh, I'm sure you're very busy these days packing your bags for Singapore. Uh, uh, I've luckily missed out on that trip. I say <laughs> luckily only because it seems already <laughs> logistically crazy. But it, it is going to be obviously historic and, and very interesting to watch the developments as they come. Uh, as we learned on Friday, it's now back on for, for real, for real. <laughs> and, um, yeah. and I, I mean, I think everybody's watching after this uh, meeting on Friday between the former spy chief of, of North Korea and, and President Trump to s try to get an idea of where this goes from the sort of ceremonial, which in and of itself will be kind of interesting and historic and atmospheric, to the substantive. Will Donald Trump be able to move this from, you know, a propaganda win for North Korea, a uh, historic moment that he himself can kind of point to, to actual substance, right, to... Uh, they've actually committed to denuclearization and defined it in this way in a, in a meaningful way. We've created an envoy process or a step, you know, steps yeah. forward. We've done all the hard logistical work that that makes this not just sort of a recognition of North Korea on the world stage, but an actual substantive uh, negotiation towards uh, a more peaceful Asia Pacific. Yeah. So you mentioned that the former uh, jump in anytime you want here, Emma. Mm -hmm. But you mentioned that the former spy chief from North Korea came down to the White House, um, delivering a letter, a very large letter, a very large, big poster board almost letter from Kim Jong Un. I thought the idea that in this electronic age you actually deliver a piece of paper, I found kind of old fashioned. It's just like 
I expected him to Send arrive. Send a courier. In a courier, yeah. <laughs> I expected him to arrive at the White House in a horse and buggy, you know, like sort of. But uh, the president, uh, he was a very uh, intrigued by this by this letter. He told reporters, "Oh, you won't believe." Here he is. You won't believe what's in this letter. A letter was given to me by Kim Jong-un, and that letter was a very nice letter. Oh, would you like to see what was in that letter? Would you like How much? How much? How much? So then, I don't know whether you were there then, but a reporter followed up and, and asked a particular question about the content of the letter. And this is less than a minute later, the president says. What's your response to the letter? Did you send anything back? Uh, no, I didn't. I haven't seen the letter yet. I purposely didn't open the letter. Oh, yeah. I haven't opened it. I didn't open it in front of the director. I said, would you want me to open it? He said, you can read it later. I may be in for a big surprise, folks. <laughs> so this letter is so interesting. In that. No, I haven't yeah. read it yet. Yeah. <laughs> it was great. I mean, so for Bloomberg, uh, in addition to everything you can read on our website or in our magazines, our big product, obviously, is the... The terminal where we flash headlines for people mm-hmm. to trade off of. And I remember writing the first one, which was like, oh, he says, you know, it's a great letter. He was very encouraged by it. And then 60 seconds later, I'm like, I guess he didn't read it. You know, we're going to have to fire this one off. It's like when you go to a book club and you've only read one chapter of the book and you just have to fill the time with saying how glowing, glowing praise about the book and then say, I didn't actually read the whole thing. <laughs> right. So, um, it looks like, again, it's on, but for, for first, he's going to the G7 first in Yes, that, that's at least his plan, although yeah. that is, uh, you know, has become more and more fraught because of these uh, tariffs on tariffs. steel and aluminum that he's put in, which have yeah. really upset. Um, that's what I was going to ask you, is how do you think he'll be received at the G7? Well, well we saw sort of a historic statement uh, over the weekend, which was the G7 fin- finance ministers minus the U.S. Uh, issued a statement that was sort of denouncing the the uh, metal and alum- aluminum tariffs that, that the White House put on. That's something that you rarely see out of the G7, which um, usually works towards consensus and if anything, is ineffective in their sort of statements. And so you saw that kind of sharp rebuke. You saw uh, Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau come on mm-hmm. uh, on Meet the Press over the weekend, and that followed kind of a, a tit-for-tat back and forth between uh, Trudeau and Trump last week. And so it, it has seemed that, uh, you know, the president, since getting into office, has looked up, and NAFTA looked up, and Chorus looked up, and kind of a series of... Uh, international trade agreements that have been negotiated over decades and um, really underpin a lot of the way that countries work with and interact with each other. You can make arguments, I think, on either side about whether those trade agreements were good or bad for the U.S., but certainly his sort of barreling straight into them has really upset not just adversaries, but, but a lot of our closest allies. And so uh, it's going to be an uncomfortable meeting if, if President Trump goes up there to Canada. Uh, I think he's going to find a lot of those world leaders really sort of upset with, with his position. And that's going to be tough for him because um, he is going to want to marshal their support for a series of other priorities, including going into those North Korea talks. So mm-hmm. as we saw in the sort of buildup to North Korea, uh the president complained about Russia and complained about China, both seeming to interfere with Kim Jong-un. And a lot of that was thought to be related to the trade actions that the, the administration was considering. Yeah. Do you have um, 
You, you mentioned now, then shifting to the summit, uh, moving from atmospherics to substance. Bill uh, Richardson, who has done a lot of work uh, in North Korea under previous administrations, um, I thought kind of put his finger on what the what the real risk is here, given the nature of both leaders. Uh, here's Bill Richardson yesterday. I believe uh, the danger now is that this will be a gigantic uh, photo op. You could see that what Donald Trump would want more than anything and Kim Jong-un might want more than anything is just that. A, a giant photo op. And, you know, the president, through his first year in office, certainly um, those were his favorite sort of international moments. It was going to France for Bastille Day and seeing this giant parade and getting to shake hands with Macron and uh, touring, you know, beautiful parts of that. It was going to Saudi Arabia and, uh, you know, having a big parade and standing in front of the glowing orb. The glow, the orb. <laughs> the, orb. And, uh, the infamous orb. Yeah. We're still trying to figure that one out. Yeah. yeah but, but these are, those are things that have not resulted in sort of the progress that, that those relationships are supposed to turn out. And so without that substantive progress, you, you do really get into those questions of, are we all just here to, to snap some pictures or are we here to do serious work of diplomacy? I think Trudeau is in a very interesting position coming into this week. Um, in the past, to my mind, he's seemed to strike a, a more Canadian, a friendly Canadian tone with the White House. And now this week with the steel tariffs, um, he said that, you know, what the Trump, what Trump has said was insulting to Canada, you know, given our deep relationship with Canada as allies um, and the Trump administration kind of implying that it would somehow be a national security risk or, you know, making making Canada into our adversaries, which is just an idiotic move. I'm sorry. <laughs> well, certainly not diplomatic. <laughs> yeah, not say, yeah. not a dipl- that's a more diplomatic way to say but it. Really, at the end of the day, like, why? Why do this? Why start that fight? Why pick that fight? And well, I don't well, know that they've really given a great answer on it. And, and Justin, I think, I'm sure in your reporting, depending on whom you talk to in the White House, you might get a different answer on that. Sure. I mean, I think it's important to acknowledge that there are two camps within the White House, uh, the sort of Peter Navarro, Wilbur Ross camp, who see these sort of punitive trade actions as um, – really an effective way to reverse long long trends uh, where we've seen American jobs leave. We've seen a lot of industrial um, aspects, sectors of our economy uh, go overseas uh, to areas where there's less skilled labor and, and that that labor is cheaper. Uh, or you see people like Larry Kudlow who um, who view these trades as uh, or tariffs tariffs as as impediment to free trade and that free trade has sort of and been form, prosperous formerly for uh, Gary Cohn who had yeah, that exactly and <laughs> so there is that that break but I think where there is a where the president has united those two factions mm-hmm. is by saying that he views these tariffs as uh, a a negotiating tactic as a way to pressure other countries to reverse. Uh, losses that have already been made by prior presidents on trade, um, but uh, those nego- the, those were the result of long negotiations and trade offs on both sides. And other countries are aware of the fact that yeah. um, that there was a give and take 
decades ago. And so that's and it a tough took one. many, many years of building up goodwill to get to that point. And right. it seems that on the international stage, goodwill among some of our allies is wearing thin. Yeah. I mean, that argument you're making, you're right, the White House is making that our allies have not bought that argument. Exactly. Yet, right? And the national security yeah. argument is not, I think everybody acknowledges it's nonsense. Obviously, we're not worried that Canada is building up steel reserves to <laughs> take you know, up arms <laughs> against <yeah>. us. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> But but it is the mechanism through which the president can in, impose these tariffs without having to go through Congress. Um, can we are we can we be confident that there is going to be a summit uh, eleven days from now? I feel at this point that we can be fairly confident. I mean, anytime yeah. you're dealing with North Korea, it's a bit of a black box that it is impossible to see. Or Donald Trump. <laughs> or Donald Trump. I know that I, I think pretty obviously President Trump wants this yeah. this summit to happen, and so. Uh, I don't think it'll be the U.S. So it's interesting that the New York Times points out this morning, which I'm sure is true with any summit, that there are so many details yet to be negotiated, like even classic. uh, They don't even know what hotel they're going to meet in yet in Singapore. Uh, The size of the table, the shape of the table, who's allowed (laughs) in the room and who's not allowed in the room, uh, which leader arrives first. Right. The bigger country usually arrives the the second and sits farthest away from the door. I mean, there are all these details. What break? How many breaks they take? What meals they are served? What is served? uh, What liquor is used for the toast? I mean, and then who pays for the hotel rooms? Right. The Post had a great story about that over the weekend, and. You know, North Korea, although they obviously we are in negotiations over their nuclear program and their ballistic missile program, which never cheap, uh, apparently are making the argument that they can't afford to pay for this hotel in Singapore. (laughs) Having been to Singapore, hotels are very expensive there. (laughs) Not sure they're nuclear missile (laughs) expensive, but uh, but yeah, these are all real issues that that need to be sorted out and are tougher to sort out because, uh, you know, obviously we have no diplomatic relationship uh, pre-existing with North Korea, and North Korea is not experienced at sort of going to these major international summits. They've been largely sort of exiled from the international community. And so uh, there's a lot of unpredictability, and thrown into that are two unpredictable leaders who don't sort of abide by the conventions that, that we would normally see in one of these. Uh, so so we, may end, we, we t- American taxpayers, may end up paying for Kim Jong-un's hotel room, right? So. I will say um, that... Uh, among my my liberal friends, since Trump was inaugurated, there has been this ongoing fear about nuclear war with nu- North Korea. Um, and I, for whatever reason, was al- always felt kind of blasé about it um, and thought those fears were a little overstated because mm-hmm. I frankly think that Kim Jong-un is a bit of a paper tiger in this situation. Um, and... Oh. U.S. military might cannot really be overstated. Well, I mean, hey, whatever gets you to sleep at night. All right. (laughs) (laughs) There were other. To be fair, there were other things that were terrifying me at all times, but just not North Korea. Fair. I I mean, to your point and to your question, I think that a real uh, concern about whether the summit happens and the ability for us to make progress is not just Kim Jong Un's willingness, but the willingness of sort of. the bureaucracy or hierarchy that exists within North Korea, um, you know, intelligence analysts, although, again, they don't have great information about what's happening there, say that one of the reasons that it was difficult to select a site in the first place is because there's a reluctance on the part of Kim Jong-un to 
even leave North Korea out of fears of a coup. There's, yeah. um, it, we saw reports over the weekend that the top military leadership in North Korea had been replaced, and we're not sure why, but that certainly seems like a strange decision, you know, a week before he's set to sit down right. with, with Donald Trump over what will be a partially military negotiation. Um, so, yeah, I mean, there's a real question about how sincere is he? How willing is he to give up what is mm -hmm. essentially mm -hmm. been his safety net? And how how enabled is he in a country that can sort of brutally and quickly change change high-level leadership? Justin Sink with us from Bloomberg News and Emma Rollo from Splinter News. So, Justin, uh, the... The president's attorneys uh, over the weekend, uh, a, a memo that uh, two of them had written to uh, Robert Mueller, it was leaked to the New York Times, uh, uh, where they asserted that the president uh, cannot, doesn't have to respond to a subpoena, doesn't have to sit down um, with the uh, special counsel, and could not be charged with obstruction of justice because, after all, he's president of the United States. Rudy Giuliani following up yesterday on the talk show saying that he could even pardon himself if he wanted to. He has no intention of pardoning uh, himself, but he probably doesn't say he can't. Doesn't say he can't, right? <laughs> um, so Constitutional this, oh, law right there. Right, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then Rudy actually went, to, went then went so far as to tell Huffington Post that the president could actually have shot James Comey and still not be charged with a crime because he's president of the United States. Is the argument that they're collectively making that the president is above the law? Well, I think that the argument that they're making is that there is a loan mechanism for uh, for sort of imposing the law on the president. A loan mechanism, you said? A loan mechanism, yeah. by which I mean impeachment. And that's something that I think we have experienced with prior presidents and so it's not that that core sort of argument is not particularly novel now where you get into trouble is uh if you're a republican senator and you were around in the 1990s and you think obstruction of justice is um something that that you shouldn't be concerned with a lot of people are going to look back at your voting record and say well when bill clinton did it you were you certainly voted to impeach that obstruction of justice was Part of the articles of impeachment against Nixon and Bill Clinton. Exactly. Both. And we so far do not have as cut and dry uh, sort of evidence uh, that we did with Bill Clinton, for instance. We don't have Donald Trump lying under oath that we are aware of yet. We don't have uh, him instructing witnesses that we're aware of uh, to lie under oath. And so that is certainly a different bar. But if the special counsel comes back and recommends, yeah. you know, uh, recommends those charges, even though they they wouldn't necessarily go through a criminal court. I think it's going to put Republicans in a difficult situation. I, I don't want to throw a wrench into the conversation, but oh. you just mentioned Bill Clinton. Bill Clinton uh, making the rounds, um, uh, giving some interviews. He's on NBC News this morning where he was asked if he would have done anything differently in the Monica Lewinsky scandal. Now that we are in this Me Too moment, uh, would he have done anything differently? Bill Clinton says, quote, I think I did the right thing. I defended the Constitution. On whether, why, why should he have resigned as opposed to fighting it? And he says he did the right thing and he wouldn't have done anything differently with the Monica Lewinsky scandal. I also noticed that. Anything? <laughs> Sorry. Anything, uh, differently. anything differently. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's sad. Yeah. Uh, I also noticed that Donald Trump has tweeted on this issue we were just talking about this morning. I just I hadn't oh, seen boy. that until just now, um, about 20 minutes ago. Quote, as has been stated by numerous legal scholars. <laughs> numerous. <laughs> numerous. Rudy Giuliani. Rudy Giuliani. Jay Sekulow. Uh, quote, I have the absolute right to all caps, pardon myself. But why would I do that? When I have done nothing wrong. In the meantime, the never-ending witch hunt led by 13 very angry and conflicted Democrats continues into the midterms. I guess he's talking about the Mueller. Yeah, there's yeah, sort of an argument that yeah. has been percolating uh, in Fox News that that because many of these, uh, many of the members of, of Robert Mueller's team were donors to Democrats at some point or registered as Democrats, that they should not be able to sort of do their job, I would challenge the Republican White House to find a lot of um, non-Democrats in Washington, D.C. It's uh, <laughs> <laughs> that, that aren't congressional Republicans or their aides. Uh, I think it's that's a reflection, I think, of the politics of the city where yeah. uh, the Democratic primary is, is the... Uh, it's the election rather than the actual one it's all part of that they've been trying to say this is a whole democratic conspiracy but led by republican robert Mueller, you know but uh, i i think they're getting away that argument but they but they keep making it it's the same argument as um the fbi i'm forgetting his name his wife who ran for congress yeah mccabe mccabe McCabe. right Uh, but so but this this assertion almost assertion of divine right on the part of donald trump i mean and and it's interesting to me too, Justin, that they keep they keep saying impeachment, 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 impeachment. I mean, they're almost talking more about impeachment than Democrats are these days. Well, I think that that's also deliberate strategy to motivate Republican voters to come out in the midterm elections. Mm-hmm. If you make the midterms preemptively a, a referendum Refer- on, on impeachment, on impeachment, and on Donald yeah. Trump, they're going to feel a lot better about motivating people who came out for Donald Trump but hadn't voted before or didn't vote regularly because they're going to want to protect uh, the guy that they put into the White House, where if it is instead a referendum on the policies and sort of uh, attitudes of Donald Trump and Democrats are the ones who are excited and head out to the polls, then they risk losing the House and and not building on their majority in the Senate. Is it the truth that the reason there's some legal uncertainty about whether or not the president can be charged with obstruction of justice or whether he picked up what could pardon himself, whatever, that it's just never been done, right? I mean, so ultimately, when, I think when you, when you talk this out with them, they say, well, of course, he could do it, but it would end up with the Supreme Court, and the yeah, Supreme yeah. Court would probably never approve it. Certainly, there would be a, a legal challenge that would need to be sorted out. Um, the pardon issue has never been sort of Fully, yeah, yeah. fully vetted out before, um, but it, I mean, I think uh, it, it's important to set realistic expectations here, which is that Donald Trump is not going to be walked off in handcuffs, no matter what the sort of circumstance or situation is. Uh, so, uh, could this be politically devastating to him as the investigation unfolds? Certainly, could uh, his actions be revealed or the actions of his campaign be revealed to be treacherous enough that? Senate Republicans decide that they're going to abandon him. That's a much higher bar to cross, but that is that is a possibility down the road. But the idea that 
you know, Robert Mueller is going to walk into the White House and walk out yeah. with Donald Trump in handcuffs is just not it's just not realistic. It'll be interesting to see how Republicans react, depending on what the outcome is in November. Um, if, you know, there is this blue wave that some people are projecting, if that does happen, will we start seeing Republicans in the House and the Senate start jumping ship and distancing themselves from Trump? I'm skeptical that they will um, because they've sort of They've signed, never done it. They've at, signed at, at their notice. Sort of I think John yeah. John Boehner said it best last week when he said, "There's no Republican Party anymore today. There's the mm. Trump Party." Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, I have to ask you before because a less than a minute left. Uh, the first lady is coming back today. We understand sort at five thirty. Yes, uh, she's today. according to the White House schedule going to attend a uh, sort of dinner or, or ceremony for uh, Gold, Gold Star, Star families. families. It'll be her first appearance in more than three weeks since she had that sort of surprise, unexpected kidney surgery, where she ended up in the hospital for longer than uh, mm-hmm. than people expected. But this is not an open press event, so it's going to be another situation where the media doesn't actually lay eyes on her, with the exception of. I think there was a CNBC reporter who might have spotted her walking through the West Wing a couple weeks ago, and you know nobody's actually seen her uh, since that surgery. So the press, there no no pool in today, even no pool, no. Whoa. Okay. Hmm. Now the, the the plot just thickens. Okay. All right. <laughs> hey, hey guys, thanks so much for coming, Justin. It's always good to see you, Emma. Good to have you back. Thank okay. You. Thanks. Have a great folk uh, Monday, folks. We'll see you Peace. again tomorrow.